Amen. The Bible says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I got thinking about that. To whom much is given, much God has given us so much grace. And have we extended grace to somebody this week? Have we done that? You know, uh, Brother uh, McPherson and I were out doing some visiting this week, and we were uh, visiting Roger and Annie. And on our way back in Victoria, there was a fellow hitchhiking, and I said, "I'll pick him up and I'll drive if you'll witness to him." And uh, he said, "Sure." So we we picked up this fella. And he didn't want much to do with the gospel. And uh, he was going to Port Dover. He said, drop me off at Highway, Highway 6 and 24. And I said, well, I said, I'm going down as far as the blue line. If you're going to Port Dover, I could take you there. And, and Paul got talking to him. And I said, well, I said, I said to myself, I'll just take him right into Port Dover. It's only four kilometers, you know, or whatever. And, and so I, I got to 6 and 24. He says, just let me off here. And I said, well, I'm happy. I'll take you right into Port Dover, wherever you need to go. And he said, no, let me out now. <laughs> and he wanted out of that car. And, and, you know, but I was just thankful that, that Brother McPherson extended some grace and shared with him. He wasn't harsh with him, just loved him and shared some, got the gospel with him. And, and uh, pray for Roger and Annie. You know, they, they, uh, a lot of health issues there, a lot of health needs, and uh, especially with Annie. And so we were over and visited with her and prayed with her. It was good to see uh, Gordon Eileen this week and Eileen... Uh, was going in for surgery and a little on her lip. But you know, in the winter, it's so dry and it cracks and bleeds and hurts so badly there. And, and so to cut it open and, and so uh, pray for her as she recovers. We had a good visit with them and they, and they were having company. I guess it was Wednesday. And, and uh, so she went in for her surgery Thursday. Glad to hear that she's doing okay. And we'll continue to pray for her body, the, the arthritis and the calcium that builds up. And boy, she's in an uncomfortable condition for sure. And uh, visited with B this week, and of course B's not feeling well. And uh, continue to pray for her. We we had a good visit with Sonny Webster. We picked him up and took him out for a coffee. And we we've learned a little bit more about his his problem. So you can pray a little better for him. His problem is not walking. It's when he sits for more than ten minutes or fifteen minutes, and it locks up. And when he says, "When I get up, my leg just isn't there, and I feel like I'm going to fall down, and and I get dizzy." And so he says, "Walking is not a problem. It's if I sit for more than ten or twelve minutes, and then I'm really in trouble." And so uh, he was pretty fidgety even in the coffee shop. He would move around a lot to try to keep loose. But he, he walks as far. He'll go to No Frills to get his groceries, and he lives over by the Pankers. I, I mean, that's a long walk when you're 83. And uh, that's a long walk. And so I said, when it gets cold, he said, i got great neighbors. They'll help me anytime. So, But continue to pray for Sonny as he's suffering with that hip problem. And uh, we had a good time with him. And, and so uh, just keep praying for folks. A lot of sickness, a lot of illness right now. I know that they would appreciate that so much. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of John. The book of John, before we left off for Christmas, we were looking at the portraits of Christ through the book of John. And we have never, we never finished. We got to John chapter 15. Our last, our last lesson from this book was Jesus the true vine in John chapter 15, and then of course we got into Christmas, and we went through all the Christmas carols, and then uh, uh, then the last few weeks we've been uh, looking at a few other things, but we want to get back into our portraits of Christ and finish it up. I believe we'll be finished right around uh, Easter, which is perfect, because the end of the book of the Gospels is resurrection, and so the timing will be nice, and we'll finish up, but for me it's been a wonderful blessing, a good study to get into my study and just study the life of Christ, just right on through the Gospels and learning more about Jesus. I hope it's been a help to you. Now tonight, if the Lord is willing, I'm going to start a new series for Sunday evenings on the heart. The heart. 
Proverbs 4 will be our theme. We are to guard our hearts, for out of it flow forth the issues of life. And each week we'll look at a different type of uh, heart condition. And uh, we'll do that for a little while, as long as the Lord leads. Uh, But tonight we'll have an introductory message on the heart. And so I hope that you'll come. I hope that it'll be a help to you in your walk with God and your Christian growth. Sometimes we need to identify why do we, why do we struggle with certain things? There, there's both good and bad things that come out of the heart, right? Uh, there's, there's positives as well. There's the loving heart. There's the kind heart. But then there's also, uh, there, there's also uh, some, some problems, the insecure heart. And things like that. And so we'll look at some of those things. And as we identify some of those things in our own lives, Lord willing, the Holy Spirit will help us to grow in Christ. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're going to look at verse 13. We've already looked at the vine and the branches in the first part of the chapter. But join me in verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. <clears throat> if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had come, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I send unto you, from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. (laughs) Our Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you today and plead with you that you would speak to us that through your word, your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and lives. Father, we pray the word that no man would be seen save Jesus Christ, and through him, his Father. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to understand this idea of Jesus, the rejected Savior. Father, help us just to meditate upon your life today. Father, I'm not sure, to be honest, if there's a challenge involved in the message other than taking a fresh look at Calvary, looking at Jesus and His suffering once again. So Father, we'll thank You and praise You as You help us today. Fill me with Thy Holy Spirit. 
We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to give you a little context this morning, in John chapter 13, is already past the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Many of the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they spend a lot of time on the life and the miracles of Jesus Christ. But the book of John, almost half of the book of John, is about the last week of Jesus. He rides triumphantly into Jerusalem, and in chapter 13 we read of him gathering his disciples in the upper room and having what we have called the Last Supper as they celebrated the Passover from the Old Testament. It was there that Jesus Christ washed the feet of his disciples. It was then that he took the sop and he dropped it into the bowl that sat before Judas and looked at Judas and said, What thou doest... Do quickly, and Judas went out from among them. It was there that Jesus identified that Peter would deny him three times. And so understand from John chapter 13, which is the very last night of Jesus Christ before he would go to Calvary, we have five chapters. In John chapter 14, he begins to preach. He begins to teach them some things that will help them during this time. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Jesus began to teach the disciples and prepare them for his death. In John chapter 15, we have the parable of the vine and the branches. One of the things that Jesus wanted to leave his disciples with was how vitally important a relationship with him was. That they would be firmly engrafted into the vine. In John chapter 14, we are introduced to the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 15 and verse six, in chapter 16, it is repeated again and again that the Holy Spirit would come. The Comforter would come. Who he would send in his name. That he would always be a presence in the life of a believer. This message that we see through John chapter 14 verse through 16 uh, is, is right before Jesus retreats into the garden. And in John chapter 17, we find the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. He prays for his disciples. He prays for those that have put their trust in Christ. He prays in essence for you. That his joy might be in you. That's, that's the context. So you say, John chapter 15 in the, the passage that we just read, when does this happen? It happens right in the midst of Christ's betrayal. Judas has already gone out. He has already conspired with these soldiers with, for 30 pieces of silver that he would betray the Lord Jesus Christ. It is very likely that as Jesus is preaching this last sermon over these few chapters before he closes in prayer in chapter 17, that Judas is in the midst of those temple guards even now. Now, Jesus is God in the flesh. I don't know know about you, but there are times where I get distracted. How about you? No, there's times, it's funny, it's funny how some people will come to you and, and I, I remember one time, uh, just before the service, we had had a, a man in the church back in Hamilton and uh, he'd been there for many, many years and he'd gotten into trouble with a woman. And he chose 
two minutes before the service to come and talk to me about it. He says, Pastor, can I meet with you after church? He says, listen, I, I, I've been having an adulterous affair, and, I, and he's telling me all this stuff. And I thought, oh my heavens, do you know how hard it is to preach when that gets in your head? It's a distraction. Now Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And as he's there at the Last Supper, and he's ministering to his disciples, and he's preaching this great message... Perhaps somewhere in his mind he can see Judas telling those temple guards exactly where you can find Jesus. Later tonight he will retreat into the Mount of Olives, into the garden there, because he goes there often, the Bible says. Just come across the book, uh, the brook Cedron, and come up the hill a little bit, and there you'll find us praying together and resting there in that garden. And the one whom I kiss. Is the one who you seek. I can imagine Jesus as He's washing these feet of these disciples, looking down and seeing that empty chair and knowing what Judas was up to. You know, often we portray Christ as a man who was on a mission. We, we preach from pulpit and from articles and from teaching that often Christ was so driven about what he was doing. It, it didn't seem to affect him what other people thought about him. But I want you to know that Jesus felt very deeply. The Bible says he wept with Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. And again, as he stood on a hill over Jerusalem, saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you together, but you would not. He wept. In the garden, he prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me, as he sweat great drops of agony. We know that there was times where his heart was broken. That he was overcome with grief. The Bible calls him a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We know that on the cross he said, Father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? To say that Jesus didn't know anguish and pain and sorrow is a lie. For Jesus felt deeply, more deeply than you and I ever could. And that's what I want to focus on this morning for a few moments. As I was reading this passage of Scripture and preparing my heart for the next message, the thing that jumped out at me was the massive sorrow that Jesus was feeling. He uses words like, they hated me. They persecuted me. Jesus was in tune with his feelings and he understood that the world was out to get him. You know, sometimes we make ourselves victims. Probably every one of you knows somebody like that. Well, they, they did me wrong. And, and they just enjoy being the victim. If, if there's something going wrong in their life, they seem to relish that, that time that, that the world is out to get me. Everybody's against me. That was not the case with Jesus. He was telling the truth. The world did hate him, and they persecuted him. I want you to understand something this morning, and I say all of this in the message that, that will follow in a moment, is to help you understand that Jesus understands your grief and suffering. That he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. 
There's nothing new under the sun, and the fact that Jesus Christ knows what suffering is all about is evident in this passage as it falls right in the middle of that last evening. I want you to notice some things about his rejection. Have you ever been rejected? You ever been turned down? Sometimes it's difficult because you've put your heart on the line. You've extended yourself, you've offered yourself, you've opened your soul and laid yourself bare and then rejected. Jesus knows all about it. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His life. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, and He was rejected of man. I want you to notice, first of all, that His rejection was revealed in hatred. Verse 18, the Bible says, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. You know, let me just be honest with you about something. There's probably somebody somewhere that doesn't like you. Did you know that? You may not even know who they are. Uh, that's, that's just the truth. Like To each their own, right? I mean, we don't always agree with everybody, and there's certain people that don't like us, and there might even be somebody out there that would say, I hate them. You may not have ever done anything. There might have been something 30 years ago that you said that you didn't even realize was a problem, and they have held a grudge, and it's turned into bitterness and unforgiveness, and they hate you today still. You may not be aware of it. It may not matter to you. You might run into them at the local Walmart or grocery store and they might smile and say, hi, how are you? And they may put on a facade that nothing is wrong, but when they walk away, they turn to their spouse and say, that guy drives me crazy. It's phony, it's fake. But you may never ever know about it. But Jesus, being God in the flesh, was keenly aware that he was hated. What a burden to bear. Brother Baker, if I were to find out this afternoon that you told somebody that you hated me, that would break my heart. I love you. You're my friend. He's my prayer partner. We, we often pray together and we fellowship together and that would break my heart. If I were to find out that somebody said, anybody said, I hate him, that would bother me. That would break my heart. But Jesus knew every name that hated him. Think, think, just let that sink in for a minute. We often think of Calvary and him bearing the sins of the world, but while he walked on this earth, there was no pretense whatsoever. Jesus could look into the heart and he knew everybody's thought. He knew who hated him. And if he could communicate back with that person by just looking in their eyes, he'd say, but I love you. I, I came to give my life for you. I came to that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I've come to offer you the gift of eternal life. I've come to shed my blood on a cross for you. I've come to heal your sicknesses and diseases. I've come to raise your loved ones back to life. I've come to touch the blind eyes and unstop your ears. And yet you hate me. They hated him. Just... Just let that sink in. I, 
The thought overwhelmed me this week as I begin to think. And, and you say, well, uh, describe that hatred to us. Listen, do you need hatred described to you? We see hatred all through the world today. But the Bible goes on to say about this hatred, if you'll read in verse 25, but this cometh to pass that when the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Think about this. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, the almighty, the all-knowing, has to walk around this world knowing that people absolutely hated him, despised him. And when they said, well, why do people hate you? They have no good reason. They hated me without a cause. I was never unkind to anybody. I never hurt anyone. Matter of fact, all I did was try to help. They had fallen out of favor with God and I was willing to give my very life to pay the price for their sin. I was going to be that sacrificial lamb and die on a cross and yet they hated me. The anguish and the sorrow that are... No wonder the Bible calls them a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. For as he ministered on this earth... All he saw was hatred towards him. Oh, there was many that loved him. There was many that followed him. But there were so many that hated him. This rejection was revealed in the people's hatred, but it was also revealed in persecution. Verse 20, the Bible says, Remember the word that I sent unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me. Persecution is hatred in action. Persecution is hatred in action. I, I struggle to understand the, the mind of radical Islam. I don't get it. I mean, I understand that we have the Bible and they have the Quran. I understand that because of it, they believe that they are the rightful heirs of Israel because of what it says in the Quran that Ishmael was the firstborn of Abraham and, and all those things. They're wrong but I understand why they believe it. I understand that they don't like uh, our philosophy and our way of life over here in the, in the West because uh, it is vastly opposed to the Quran. I understand why they believe it, but I cannot understand why their hatred causes them to blow up buildings. You see, that is hatred in action. It's one thing to disagree with somebody. It's even one thing to be vastly opposed to their way of life. I'm going to be very honest with you. There are those out there that I'm vastly opposed to their way of life. I think it's, it's an abomination of our age that we have abortion. I'm opposed to that. I, I hate that sin. I just learned that uh, yesterday, I read a statistic that in the last five years in the United States of America, more babies have been aborted than the entire population of Canada. That's over 32 million in just five years. Incredible. I hate that epidemic. I don't like the homosexual movement because it destroys families. It destroys the very fabric of society. That doesn't mean I hate them. That doesn't mean I'm going to go blow up for their parade. Doesn't mean I'm going to blow up an abortion clinic. That's wrong. That's hatred in action. That's persecution. But Jesus Christ wasn't just hated. 
He was despised so badly they conspired to kill him. He was persecuted. Persecution didn't just happen on the cross. Over and over again, they conspired against him. They wanted to take him by force on a cliff, but he slipped away through the crowd. It wasn't safe, the Bible says, after a while for him to enter into the cities. And so he ministered in the villages. And when he decided to go back to Jerusalem, that's when Peter rebuked him and said, No, don't go to Jerusalem. And he said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God. He was persecuted. Why? Because he healed the sick and he raised the dead. And he preached repentance. This hatred or this rejection was revealed in hatred and persecution. The word persecution literally means to drive away, to cause to flee, to threaten. Can you imagine living your life like that, always being threatened? First time I, I got to go to Africa, what a blessing, in 2007. And i, I got to be honest with you, I was a bit apprehensive. I got on that plane and I was flying into uh, Accra, Ghana. And you came down, you saw the lights. I thought, okay, here we are. I got on a plane in Chicago in January, and it was uh, 4 degrees Fahrenheit. I got off the plane, it was 104 degrees Fahrenheit. 100 degree difference. I, it, was, it was great. And you got off and you just instantly started sweating. And the, and the crowds around the airport people that are just trying to make a living and they're poor and they're, they're hurting. And so there's a thousand people there wanting just to carry your bag to the car for a quarter, just trying to make a little bit of money. And so I said to, I said to the missionary, I said, do I let them carry the bag? What do I do? And he says, make sure if somebody carries your bag, you're able to run as fast as they are. <laughs> I said, I don't think that's anybody in this crowd. <laughs> so... We just, you're very careful. But I got, I was apprehensive. And I was just told, listen, the people are fine. They're, they're, they're kind. They're, they, they, they want your money. And so they're going to be kind and try to sell you things all the time. So he says, they rely on people coming over here. So they're not going to hurt you. So, but one of the things I did was I went into a market. I didn't know. I went with the pastor and he says, I got to go in this market. And everybody stayed in the car. So I'll go with you. I like to see this market. It was indoors, and it was four floors. And I, I mean, instantly, the pastor turned to me and he says, take your wallet out and put it in your front pocket, then keep your hands in your pocket. I went, oh, what? He says, yeah, do that. I said, okay. And he says, stay right with me and keep your eyes open. He says, 99% of the people here are good people. He says, but it only takes that one. I said, all right. Man, I was nervous. I was apprehensive. I felt like every eye was on me. Do you know that Jesus lived every day like that? Jesus lived every day like that. People wanting to hurt him and kill him. Persecuted. Can you imagine living in fear your whole life? Have you ever, have you ever been in a situation like I just described where you were fearful? Your car ever broke down in the middle of the night somewhere and you wondered who's coming down the road? Man, I, there's, there's situations like that, aren't there? I remember walking into the church one day in Hamilton and there was our lobby had 
homeless people and drug addicts sleeping in the lobby. Somebody left the door unlocked and they got in there and went to sleep. There was a missionary with me, Nathan Jones. And he had his family upstairs sleeping and they would snuck in while he, they were sleeping. We'd gone out for, to do some work in the morning and, and the babies were sleeping upstairs. He was scared. He ran up the stairs to make sure his family was okay. There was no problem. We asked him to leave, but the heart just jumps. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Jesus lived every day like that. Because he was hated, he was persecuted. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you today what Jesus went through. The pain and the anguish and the sorrow that he felt because he did for you. This world wasn't his home. He left a place of perfection from the presence of his Father to enter into a sinful world to die for you. And he was hated and he was persecuted. His rejection was revealed in hatred and persecution. His rejection was rooted in the world. Verse 19, the Bible says, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Why does the world hate Jesus? Because they're the world and he's not. Friends, listen, there is a fundamental problem if the world loves us. We are to be separate from the world. We are to be different from the world. Now the Bible says we are to live peaceably with all men. But the world, for the most part, is going to hate us. Several years ago, my son Brendan was playing baseball. And uh, I caught wind a few times. I could hear behind the fence the coach just totally angry that we went to church. It bothered him. He, he hated it. Well, we've got to practice. It's Sunday at 1 o'clock. And, and Brendan Fury, the church boy, is not going to be here. Well, he'd get there about quarter after one. It wasn't like we chained him in the dungeon and, on Sundays. But we went to church. We honored the Lord. And the hatred that spewed out of his mouth. Listen, we are not congruent with the world. We are to be different. Jesus was hated, and he says, you'll be hated. Jesus was persecuted, he says, you'll be persecuted. But just remember, they did it to me first. His rejection was rooted in the world. Listen, I want you to notice something. He did not say that Satan was responsible. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's the ruler of the darkness of this world. But he never once blamed it on Satan. Years ago, we were having dinner and Emily was nagging Austin. She was only about six years old and she just thought she was a second mother to Austin. And she just nagged him about, well, sit up straight. Austin, use your knife and fork, and he, it was supper time. She was just nagging him about etiquette, you know? And he, he was only about four years old, three years old, and he says, blame it on the devil, will you, and give me a break. But that's what we like to do is we like to blame everything on the devil. The Bible very clearly says it's not the devil's problem, it's the world's problem. We have a sin nature. And that sin nature is opposed to God. And those that are not children of God, those who have not got their sin problem taken care of by coming to the cross of Calvary, they are opposed to us. And they were opposed to Jesus. You say, well, aren't you preaching to the choir? We don't reject Christ. But don't we reject Christ every time we're led away of our own lusts, our own sin? Don't we reject Christ when we choose entertainment over devotion? 
Don't we reject Christ when we're easily persuaded to miss the gathering of God's people for worship? Don't we reject Christ when we gossip and complain about God's people rather than pray and exhort them? That's how they rejected Christ. They hated him. They persecuted him. They despitefully used him. The Bible says in Luke chapter 10, He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. Listen, how we treat one another is how we treat Christ. His rejection was rooted in the world, but it was rooted in a lack of salvation too. Verse 21 says this, But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. You know, the world's always going to act like the world. The sad thing is, is when Christians act like the world. We betray that we know God when we behave like the world. Read the verse with me again, verse 21. All these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not Him. When we treat each other like that, and when we, when we, we put somebody down, and when we complain, and we whine, and we gossip about others in the church, rather than praying for them, and exhorting them, and helping them, we are behaving like the world, and we are behaving like we don't have salvation, and we're behaving like we don't know God. Jesus said, that's how those that rejected me behaved. Oh, I don't want to be like that. But Jesus' rejection was also rooted in the revelation of sin. Verse 22 says, If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. Here's the problem, he says. Here's why they hate me. They got no cloak for their sin anymore. Their sin has been revealed. Here's, here's, here's the truth, friends. When our sin is revealed, our pride says, I'm, you're just trying to humiliate me. Humility is the proper response. Humiliation is always a result of our pride. Always. You, you say, well, what do you mean? I'll say this, I don't, I don't know, I, I, I say this standing here today, I don't know what I'll say tomorrow, I don't know 10 years from now where, you know, but for the grace of God, but I'm going to say this, I don't believe you can humiliate me. You say, well, why? Because No, because I'm bought with a price, I'm not my own. We are to be dead in Christ. Humiliation is the result of pride. You hurt my pride. The Pharisees run around, you're pointing out our sin. And Jesus said, that's why they hate me. But those that humbly came to Christ got their sin problem fixed. They weren't humiliated, but instead they humbly acknowledged and repented of their sin. You see, nobody likes to be rebuked of their sin. But if we have a humble spirit, then we can come to Christ. Christ was rejected of man because of the revelation of sin. And finally, this morning, I want you to notice, we've talked about his rejection, how it was revealed. His rejection was rooted in the world and lack of salvation, the revelation of sin, but his rejection was relieved. Boy, this is important. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, preacher, I, I felt rejected a time or two in my life. Jesus found relief for his rejection. Well, I want you to notice, first of all, through the camaraderie of his friends. Look at what the Bible says, if you'll back up in chapter 
uh, 15, verse 12, or verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go forth and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Jesus said, there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You see, what, what is Jesus doing in this passage, in the context of this whole passage? He's talking about hatred, and he's talking about persecution, he's talking about the world and how much they hated him. But before he ever got to the world, and before he ever complained about their, or, or, or told about their, uh, uh, their complaints and their whining and their, their persecution and their hatred, he said this, I've got a group of friends that love me. He says, and I have chosen you and I've ordained you to preach the gospel and you will represent me. And he found comfort in his friends. Can I ask you, are you that friend of somebody? There are people that are rejected every day. Jesus Christ knows exactly how they feel. They need a friend. I have told you this before. I'm going to share this illustration again because it's so appropriate. There's a fellow by the name of Paul, a friend of mine, Paul Spence. Paul is just a teddy bear of a guy. He's just genuine, loves people, just tries to be a blessing to people all the time. One day we were working in, and, uh, in the church, and my watch, uh, the, what do you call it, the crystal or whatever, it got, it got broke. We were doing something, and I bumped it, and it broke. It wasn't 20 minutes later, he came walking in with a brand new watch. He just wanted to help me. One day he was at the church and my battery and my van was dead for some reason, so he gave me a jump start. And the next day what happened? I had a brand new battery sitting on the front step of the church for my van. Just He just tried to be a blessing for people and be a help for people. And there was this lady in the church and, and, he, and Paul had been married and divorced and she had been married and divorced and they believed that, that since this was their personal conviction, they were divorced, they shouldn't get remarried, but they were friends. And she treated him awful. She'd call him names. She was just downright nasty to him and mean to him. But she was kind of like that with everybody. And one day I took him aside and said, Paul, I said, I'm bothered. I said, you know, I said, you're such a generous guy and a big-hearted guy. And I said, we've appreciated your friendship and your help over the years. I said, I'm just concerned about how you're being treated. He says, well, he says, I don't like it either. He says, but a long time ago, the Lord laid upon my heart that she doesn't have any friends. And I can just be a friend to her. I mean, I was humbled. I said, that's the ministry God's given you? And he says, that's the ministry God's given me, just to be a friend to this lady that has no friends, and she's so mean to everybody. He says, so I try to help her. Man, that, that's what people need today, isn't it? When they're feeling rejected, they need a friend. Jesus Christ knew what it was like to be rejected, and so he takes a few minutes to love on his friends, to find camaraderie with them, to be encouraged by them. But I want you to notice the most important thing. Not only was it the camaraderie of his friends, but it was the comfort of his father. The Bible says in verse 26, or verse 25, read there so you can get the context, but this cometh to pass 
that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which shall proceed, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye shall also bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. I want you to notice that Christ's message to his disciples was twofold. Once he was, in one hand, he was letting them know, I've been rejected. I'm hated. I'm persecuted. The world hates me, and I'm going to die on a cross. But he also wanted to prepare them. Because they hate me, they're going to hate you. And because they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. But the Comforter is coming. The Holy Spirit, whom I will send in my name, the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify to me. He'll comfort you. He'll help you. Listen, friend, if you're feeling like Jesus was, feeling rejected, hurt in your heart, he said, but I don't have a friend to go to. I don't have these disciples like Jesus did. Can I tell you this? You have the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, if you're a, a child of God through Jesus Christ the Son, has promised that you'll have his Holy Spirit and he will never leave you nor forsake you and he'll be a comforter to your heart today. I'm so thankful to know that Jesus Christ in these last hours had a comforter. He had somebody that he could look down to. Even on the cross of Calvary, he could see John. He'd say, take care of my mom. But there they were, comforting him and helping him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning for a moment. It's my prayer this morning that in the beginning part of the message, you took a few moments to consider the hatred that Christ felt. The very pain that he knew in his heart. That he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And yet he died for a people that would persecute him, hate him, reject him. And if God has extended us that grace, could we extend it to somebody else? If you're a child of God today, could you be a friend to somebody? Could you be a help? Could you encourage? I received a, an email or a message from Jim Wilson this morning, and it lifted me right out of my chair. He encouraged me so much. Just little things like that help so much. Would you be a comfort? Would you be one of those friends like Jesus had? Maybe you're one that's feeling rejected. Christ knows your pain. He knows your suffering. And he says, I'm sending my comforter from the Father to minister to your heart. But you must know him today. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Is it such that your communion with him is sweet and that he can minister to your heart as you need? Would you come to Jesus today? Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. No one's looking around. Is there one say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. I want to have that relationship with Christ that allows His Holy Spirit into my life that I can go through these trials and I can go through these things and be comforted.
But you must come to Christ first. Could we help you today? Is there one that would slip up their hand? I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But you say, I need Christ. Maybe there's some here today who say, Preacher, I, I'm, I believe I'm a child of God, but I, I need to know that Holy Spirit's presence like that. I, I need to be in tune with Christ. And Would you take some time and pray? Take your burdens and your cares to the Lord. The Bible says, casting all your cares upon Him, for He careth for you. Could I encourage you today to take some time and thank Christ for enduring the hatred and enduring the persecution. He didn't have to do that, but He did it for you. That you could have life eternal if you trust in Him. Let's praise Him today. What a great old hymn. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. I'm going to have Brother Baker sing that first verse. If God has spoke to your heart, would you step out and come to this altar and pray?